Hey, welcome to the Knowles 24-7 podcast. I'm Brendan Sinone. Joining me today, Bob Ferrante, Chris Nee. Guys, football is back. At least we think it is. There's a hurricane out in the Atlantic still. But uh, for right now, it looks like Florida State's getting ready to play NC State this Saturday. We're coming to you here on Monday to recap Jimbo Fisher's press conference and kind of talk about the state of Florida State football right now. Uh, how do we think this layoff? Basically, it's been it's going to be three weeks by the time Florida State plays on Saturday from their opener against Alabama. How do we think this layoff has been for Florida State? I think at the start it was it was pretty choppy and, and rusty as players came back from a five day layover. I think the players you know admitted it that it, they didn't look great when they came back on the practice field for the first time, but the practices got better, a little more chemistry being built on the offensive side. Of course, that's going to happen when you have a new quarterback too. I mean, it's not just like Francois slinging in the same receivers again. It's it's James Blackman. You have to build that that chemistry. I, I think we can look at it any, either way. It can be a good thing. It can be a really good thing because James Blackman gets great experience against the first-team defense. It's a top-five defense nationally. That's a great thing. Mm-hmm. Is it a bad thing? Yeah, I think you would have preferred to see Blackman play against ULM and not a really good defensive front like NC State. Um, on the defensive side, I think defense is, is fine. It travels. Yeah. It doesn't really matter what day of the week you play or – or whatnot. You got Derwin pushing the buttons there, Derwin James. You got to feel. I, I think this defense looks uh, worlds different, better with with Derwin and obviously a healthy Matthew Thomas mm-hmm. playing extremely well. I mean, that Michigan and, and, el- and eligible Matthew Thomas. Too. And eligible, yes. <laughs> Bob, Bob's got like the voice of a smooth jazz DJ. I feel like uh, I'm more of a whiny. I don't know what what radio station would would actually have, have me. Uh, Bob, to your point, I don't I don't think Florida State knows like how this layoff is going to be, um, and I I just kind of question. I think talking to Jimbo Fisher today, he didn't seem to have a great grasp on how his team is really going to respond and whether this was a good thing to have this extra time or a bad thing. Yeah, I mean practice is always beneficial, but I think allowing Blackman to face some live bullets against a team like Louisiana Monroe, he should simply out talent you know, would have been beneficial just as much. So I I don't – I think, if anything, it's a push. I think it kind of breaks even. I don't think it's – I'm not going to overanalyze it. I don't think it's great that they've had essentially 21 days off. I don't think it's awful that they've had that time to practice. So we'll see how it all plays out. But, I mean, they now have to face a gamut, 10 straight weeks of football, mostly against talented opponents, especially some real good defenses. You know, we're going to know what James is made of four to six quarters from right now. Yeah, yeah, we're going to figure it out pretty quickly because that NC State defensive line uh, hasn't produced maybe as much as, as a lot of people thought and a lot of national pundits thought entering the year, but it's still a really experienced and good group. Uh, Chris, you did the 247 on NC State. Let me take us into to, we'll do more later in the week uh, on NC State, but just kind of what Florida State is in for on Saturday. Well, they're going to bother you. I don't think their secondary is all that impressive, but it's what they can do up front to kind of rush a play, force a quarterback to make a quicker decision that can make big plays for the secondary. They've got three interceptions on the season. I think two of those are very much forced by pressure up front. It starts with Bradley Chubb, insanely talented guy. You know, a lot of people think he's an all-ACC defensive end in a league that has a lot of guys that have the ability of being all-ACC defensive end. you got a strong behemoth like Contavious Street up there. you got Gerard Fernandez, who's a linebacker who kind of cleans a lot of things up, high tackle percentage guy. And then in the middle, you got some meat with Jones and Hill who kind of take up space, can alter plays, take the running game away from the opponent, turn them into more of a one-dimensional team. So they're good. I mean, South Carolina gave them some issues. And, you know, they're not infallible, but they're talented. And they're able to bother you. And if FSU's O-line 
plays mediocre or bad, it's going to be a rough first go for James Blackman. If the O-line plays well, Blackman should have the ability to pick apart a secondary. That's not ultra-impressive, in my opinion. I think this is, yet again, where the, the pass protection is, is critical. And like we said, it's going to be the storyline of the season. It, it was before DeAndre's injury. It is now even more, I think, because you know James is going to have moments where he's not going to know what to do. He's not going to read defenses and process as quickly. You can't expect him as a guy who's never had any time in the cockpit to know, hey, I, I feel comfortable making this play or making this read. I, I think he might need that extra half second. So, you know, pass protection, my goodness, it's it's just it's got to be on point. The communication has to be there. I think it's a great thing that this is a, a day game at home, more relaxed uh, as far as you're not in Raleigh. I mean, if you were in Raleigh at night, this would probably be a miserable experience for James, but it at least gives him a chance to kind of settle in and, and see how things go. I I still don't expect this to be a really smooth thing for for James, but you know, he could be very productive and, and push the ball down the field. And as Chris is saying, that secondary is questionable. If he can push it deep and extend the field a little bit, you know, maybe that loosens up the defensive front. They can run a little bit more too. So this is where James' arm strength and desire to, to throw downfield can help them, I think. One thing Jimbo said during his press conference on Monday today was that last year NC State made FSU play a really long field. I haven't gone back to look at the stats, but what he's getting at is essentially a battlefield position, FSU having to drive 75, 80 yards on consistent drives. You don't want James Blackman being in that situation. The defense needs to create some opportunities for the offense to play with a short field where it kind of puts NC State into a corner. You know, you don't you don't want your quarterback having to do 10, 11, 12 play drives for 80 yards against a defense that's capable of creating a big play, especially up front. So it's going to be kind of one of those games where the defense can do a lot to also help Blackman out on offense with field position. I'm not sure if NC State, at least what we've seen so far this year, small sample size is as well equipped to to play that that kind of game against Florida State. Last year they had Matthew Days at running back who was really, really underrated and did a lot of things at a pretty high level uh, now in the NFL with the Cleveland Browns. This year, Chris, you know better than I, what's their, their yard per carry? Isn't it like three points something right now? Their, their run game has been pretty pedestrian to this yeah, point. Yeah, it's been underwhelming. I think it might have actually been 2.8. Naheem Hines, who's a converted wide receiver, has done a fairly good job at that position. Hines is also a threat in the passing game as a former receiver. And then Jalen Samuels, they haven't run it very much with him at all. I think he has eight rushing touches on the year, but he has three rushing touchdowns. Samuels is the kind of guy that can be a workhorse if you want to turn him into one. They kind of use him as a Swiss Army knife a lot in the passing game. They target him a high amount as a receiver, the highest of anybody on their team. So he's kind of a versatile guy. But if you want to throw a curveball, if you're NC State, you know, they got Ryan Finley, their quarterback, who's sitting at a 75% clip on completions, has no interceptions on the season, has been very efficient, a guy that gets rid of it fairly quickly, does a good job of kind of making the smart, right decision. They'll play dink and dunk football with you. But if NC State wants to kind of lengthen this game and shorten things up and keep their offense on the field and kind of keep FSU at bay, they have bodies they can throw at you, Hines and Samuels, and a rushing attack that can be, you know, versatile and kind of different it's not your standard lineup in the eye and bulldoze people but you got two guys who are receiving threats that you can also use in rushing attack get in space put between the tackles so Dorn you know who I'm not just putting it out there I'm not very high on Dave Dorn as a head coach but <laughs> I don't think most are yet he keeps winning enough games yeah to keep him but he, he's 500 at NC State for a reason yeah. part of it's the talent level and part of it you know they've squandered some opportunities to win big games here and there I mean last year FSU should have lost to NC State 
and they squandered that. They blew a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter. Yeah, DeAndre Francois threw what should have been an interception. And yeah, in the end, I believe it was Sean Boone that should have had it. And then he got picked on the next play, I think, to Travis Rudolph. I yeah, can't, Travis yeah, I Rudolph think, had yeah. the touchdown. Yeah, that should have been um, a loss for Florida. But, I mean, Dorn's the kind of guy that I've never watched and thought, you know, man, he's coaching a great individual game to kind of throw a curveball at the opponent. I think they have the capability of doing that to FSU. I'm not convinced they will do that to FSU. And if they play straight up with the rushing attack that they've produced through three games so far this year, it's pretty underwhelming. Naheem Hines is talented, and he might get FSU on a play where he gets to the edge or they use him on a wheel route as a receiver, but they can't line up and run that guy at FSU's defensive front 15 times and have success. Yeah, it, FSU opens as a 12-point favorite in this game for a reason. that I think they match up well in the trenches, even though NC State's defensive line uh, it's supposed to be pretty good. It hasn't looked fantastic against South Carolina to open the season. Uh, that offensive line handled them pretty well. It hasn't been what we thought it was going to be. Um, and then I'm not sure how, how consistently uh, NC State's going to be able to move the ball. I don't know if they're going to be balanced enough against what, what looks to be a really good Florida State uh, defense. I think in terms of a best-case scenario, going back to James Blackman and how it applies to this game, like – it would have been best for him to be able to get that opener or get his opener against a, you know, a non-power five, a group of five in uh, Louisiana Monroe. But worst-case scenario would have been if he had to then get his first start against Miami in primetime TV. So fortunately, uh, this kind of works out well, I think, for, for the way Florida State's breaking in its quarterback. You get basically a, a mini camp with two weeks of, of him as, as a starter to kind of recalibrate, shift your offense, tailor it to his strengths. Uh, and then you open up at home. With, it's, a, it's a sleepy nooner, right, uh, against NC State. I, I think if it gets into an ugly defensive struggle, that that's fine for what James Blackman is going to do. Do you guys have a feeling of, as, as we kind of recalibrate Florida State's expectations with Blackman at the helm, what the offense is going to look like, what this team needs to look like for FSU to be successful to kind of keep its goals intact of competing for a yeah, ACC title and, and maybe then some. Do we kind of have a, a theory of, of what the offense is going to look like on, on Saturday? I think a balanced attack where you set up some big passing plays, a handful in a game, because Blackman has the ability physically to make those kind of plays down the field. But for the most part, kind of safe, secure underneath, give them some relaxed routes, make sure your running backs are producing, getting holes open with your, running, with your offensive line for your backs. You know, I, I, think it's, I don't think it's going to alter a great deal. I think the passing game might go from being sort of intermediate heavy, as I think it would have been under Francois, to a little bit more of a short and long attack mm-hmm. where you set up the long with a lot of underneath stuff. Uh, that That's the main thing I sort of expect to see. I don't, I don't expect Blackman to do a lot of work 10 to 20 yards on the field. I think most things will be quick and underneath or going over the top. Yeah, easier reads pretty yeah. much is what you're giving them. Yeah, look, look for the one-on-one deep or look for the route that's going to break off underneath. I don't think there's going to be a lot of anticipation hit it in this spot to the middle, at least early on. you got you got to get a guy some live reps before you're willing to. Comfortable, yeah. Yeah, and anticipation is such a huge thing with quarterbacks, and some guys have it naturally, like Winston obviously yeah. did, and some guys don't have it at all, like E.J. Manuel didn't. And, you know, there's an in-between. I think Blackman probably falls in that in-between, but you don't want to – you, you do that too often, all of a sudden you're throwing balls behind guys at the goal line and turning it over, and you know, we saw that on Saturday with certain teams in the SEC where a guy made a poor throw and it went behind him, and yeah, it is what it is. So Hey, but Felipe Franks can chuck the ball seven yards down the field. Only pass completed over ten yards in the air by Florida. No, nah, Florida's back, baby. Yeah. Florida's back. Yeah. All right, stay on topic. Do you guys think – 
with Blackman, you mentioned Jameis Winston. I'm working on something now. I don't even know how to approach this column. I may just even kick it before. <laughs> By the time this podcast is up, I may not even want to write the column. But they are gassing up, not just Jimbo, but a lot of, you know, even the players are talking up James Blackman so much to where it kind of is reminiscent of how, like, you go back and look at some of the quotes that Marcus Joyner had of Jameis Winston when he was a redshirt freshman. Like, the things that they're liking about Blackman are things that they liked about Jameis. It's not to say that this is the same guy. It, it, no one's ever going to be Jameis Winston. But in terms of having a charismatic leader, a guy that people are going to get behind, you know, DeAndre Francois was a quarterback that Florida State played hard for because he was tough, he was gritty, he was a guy that was easy to to work hard for because he he cared. He earned that. He though. did. He did exactly. I, I don't field. know if that was true game one of last year. I think that became very true, especially after the Miami game. Because like, I didn't get the feeling that that they loved DeAndre Francois, but he earned the respect of of that team, and he had to. Um, I think that James Blackman, based on everything we're hearing, I want to get your guys' thoughts. Is that he is. We're not there to see it, but he's doing the things that are necessary to win over a group of, of I mean, like a senior-laden defense or veteran-heavy defense. He, as a rookie, is doing everything he needs to do to do that. And if you're a junior or senior, you have to buy into a guy pretty quick because you realize you're one game into the season, you still have everything left to play for on the table. I mean, this is a team that I fully expect will be in the ACC hunt going up to Clemson in early November. Now, <laughs> that game looks like that got a lot more that, difficult after this that weekend. That game looks didn't? miserable right now, for <laughs> sure. But if you're if you're a veteran, if you're a senior or junior, and you're thinking this is my last run, I'm going to be in the NFL next year, or I'm thinking about leaving early, I want to buy in to James Blackman, mm-hmm. and he is saying and doing the right things. Yeah. How he how he walks, how he talks, how he handles himself in the huddle on the practice field. Um, again, going back to the anecdote that I think Josh had from June, mm-hmm. he was talking around the house verbalizing the playbook Mm -hmm. just the fact that he was into it he wasn't thinking man i'm fourth on the depth chart i'm probably never going to see the field this year screw it i'll i'll just kind of learn as i go once i get there in in june july august he's been invested from the start i think i think guys get that and see that through seven on sevens Mm -hmm. and through uh, the preseason camp he was he was scrimmaging well from all the way heard scrimmage number two was really really productive from him as far as securing that number two spot I, I think I think guys know that if they play if, and Jimbo's preached do your job don't do more than your job but these guys these juniors and seniors who are experienced if they can do what they're supposed to do and Blackman just gets the ball to them then they can become the playmakers and really throw away the pass protection issues there are questions about special teams, but Florida State should beat everybody on its schedule pretty comfortably, pretty easily. So I, I think this will be interesting to see how it plays out. Well, and, and to your point, Bob, that I want to uh, go off of, as you mentioned, the upperclassmen believing in him, um, part of me kind of wonders whether they legitimately do or whether they, they just, just kind of know they have to, so they're just speaking those words. And until we actually see James Blackman in person uh, and then see what he can do in a live setting – yeah, we don't know, and I mean, I guess Florida State doesn't even know in and of itself, but everything we've heard has been positive, and even before he was supposed to be the guy, uh, there was buzz building about him. So it makes me think that that people are legitimately buying in on him, but I, I guess I'm not entirely sure. Well, I think with a lot of guys, we kind of saw this with Cam Akers in the spring. If you walk the walk, guys recognize it. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not treated as that youngster who just joined the squad. I think to some degree James has done that, being vocal in the locker room before the Bama game when he had no clue he would ever see the field in that game. It sounds like in practice he has conducted himself in a high manner in a sense where he belongs, where he understands what he's doing, where the moment's not too big for him. 
Now it's a matter of go out and do it on field. You do it in a game, prove it to your teammates, prove it to your peers. They're going to hop right on the bandwagon. Now I think some of the talk we've heard during this long lay- layover is somewhat trying to invoke confidence in a kid. You yeah. know, Say nice things, let them hear nice things. Hopefully it turns into nice things. Mm-hmm. But I think he's also earned that to some degree with his actions and the way he's uh, kind of conducted himself since he stepped on campus. You know, some kids walk on campus and the moment's too big from the get-go. Mm-hmm. They're completely consumed as a freshman. They didn't realize, oh, my God, this is so much more. I don't think that's the case with James. I think the fact he played at a very competitive level in high school, at a very competitive program, a historically well-known program in an area that's, you know, that's, thought that's of a, heavily about that, football. And that's a pressure cooker there. Right. I mean, they're, they've run coaches out. They've you know, Players have collapsed in, in, in the muck there. Like, that's – yeah, that's, that's a pressure cooker. And I've never had this conversation with James, but – there's some reality to the fact that James Blackman wasn't a guy who was thought of as like this immaculate, can't miss, amazing prospect. Mm-hmm. He's a kid that came to a camp and earned an offer, and he completely deserved it off that camp performance, and his you know game performances backed it up. But he's not a guy that. There's plenty of kids that step on the field who are supposed to be all world because somebody at some point has said they're that. James Blackman isn't that. He's very much earned his way to this point. I think there's something to be said about that for a young man. You mentioned Cam Akers, and as we let's look at the offense in the context of James Blackman. Give that kid the ball. Oh, right, that's kind of thing where we're at. With, with do we think the running back distribution? I mean, do you think Jimbo's gonna? Is he? He was asked about that today at the press conference. Uh, I think Jimbo will be slow to come around on turning Cam Akers into his ace in the hole. Yeah. Because he always because is. he is. Yeah. He believes in a veteran who's kind of earned his stripes, and Patrick has done. But that. he gave. But Cam Akers is the most talented running back on FSU. Yeah, clearly, hell, he might be the most talented player on FSU's yeah. offense right now. So let's not beat around the bush. The kid needs to touch it. He needs to touch it a lot. He needs to touch it often. He, he, Good things happen. He was on two plays against Alabama. He was inches away from turning into points. A big, or at least a big play. How many times do we see yeah. that on offense for FSU against Alabama? There's a reason that kid is so highly thought of yeah. by everybody that sees him. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Jimbo was kind of noncommittal about the running back rotation today, which makes me think, when he was asked about it, that makes me think when they – he was committal with Jacquez Patrick in the preseason when the guy that he wanted, you know, the, the upperclassmen, like you say, Chris, that's kind of he wants to go with the guys who kind of paid their dues originally. He was fine saying who it was going to be then. Now all of a sudden he doesn't want to talk about it. I think we're going to see uh, Cam Akers in a pretty heavy dose. And I think we'll see Amir Rasul. We didn't see him against Alabama. It just didn't work out that way. The, the game was abbreviated because they abandoned the run because they got in the hole. Um, <laughs> hey, he content- Coach Fisher contends he didn't abandon the run. That The game dictated they had to go away from it. Were, they abandoned <laughs> Yes. They, the game plan was never to run. No. I mean, to some degree, they came out pass happy, and it was clear. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, we, we could sit here and lecture about that all day, but it, it can be stated that they did not run the ball very much against Alabama. And they're a team that should be good at running the ball. I mean, yeah. I'm of the opinion the O-line's probably a better run-blocking O-line than pass-blocking O-line. It, and they were bad yeah. against a pass for Bama, yeah. especially playing a D-line of that caliber. So I think they're capable of being a good running team. And I think you, you – We'll have to do that at times to take pressure off a young quarterback who's going to have struggles just naturally. Good, talented veteran quarterbacks have struggles. So imagine a freshman making his first starts. You know, we were discussing where there are advantages and disadvantages to the 21-day layoff. I think one clear advantage is you, know, you give Jimbo and Randy Sanders 21 days to figure out what to do on offense, what to show that's different from the Alabama game. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot they're going to show different beyond just the new quarterback. It's how do you use, utilize Cam Akers? Mm-hmm. Do you show Akers and Patrick in the backfield together? Not a fullback, but two tailbacks. You know, I, I think we, we can fully expect to see Akers run, let's say, 10 to 15, maybe he, even more he, times. He touched it, what, 10 times versus Alabama? He had 10 carries? 
off the top of my head. I think he had 11 total touches because he well, got a reception. reception. So, yeah. yeah. I think this is a good opportunity for, for them to really say, we've got something that you really haven't seen enough of yet to game plan and prepare, and that's Cam Akers. I think the other thing is, is Jimbo, through his years, more going back to LSU, he adapted based on the personnel that he had, and I think this is a situation where he knows he can't throw everything on a quarterback's shoulders, and he mm-hmm. knows he's going to have to run the ball a lot more. The run-pass ratio should be very much skewed toward running, and I think if James Blackman ends up throwing 35 passes on Saturday, that's a terrible thing <laughs> when you look at it. He probably wants to see him capped at maybe 27 passes and, and get get more carries to to Patrick and Akers to wear down that defensive front as best as he can. In, in theory, this offense is well-equipped to help out a true freshman quarterback or a quarterback without a lot of experience, a guy that you don't know much about, because it can be, you know, Chris, you mentioned that offensive line. I, I think it could be a really good run-blocking offensive line. Showed some moments against Alabama. I actually think you know, Jacquez Patrick needs to run a little bit harder early on and get, you know, turn, you know, net, you know, zero yard gains into two or three yard gains. I thought Cam Akers, like you said, was yeah. close on a couple. When uh, you're a big back, you can't hesitate in the backfield against a team. Yeah, you that need that him to be, you need to be thunder. Yeah, yeah, you need, if you're going to do thunder run and lightning. Run towards it and hope the hole yeah. opens up. You got you can't always anticipate. Sometimes you just have to go forward. That's, and man, that's just happens. not who Jacquez Patrick ever has uh, been. Even in high school, like that wasn't his, he's, he can break arm tackles and he's a big guy and he will run with authority. But he's just not going into a you know into traffic with his head down, just hoping to clear space. That's just not who he who he is. But but they do have. I think he's ideally suited to be the guy who gets you know, after Cam Akers gets you know the first two touch or first two series. You bring him in as like the third in the third series and kind of start wearing the the, the defense down a little bit once it's already been in for a few series. If that makes sense, I think he's more of a change of pace guy with with high upside in that capacity. Um, but but you have him. You have Amir Rasul. You have a Pretty good, reliable tight end. I mean, Ryan Izzo all of a sudden becomes even more important, I think, with uh, with a freshman quarterback. Jimbo mentioned today Maven Saunders uh, kind of having a slow preseason, and I think Florida State's trying to kind of uh, kick him into gear because he's a game-changer, at least a difference-maker for them uh, with the mismatches he creates. But we, we had that quick conversation about Maven. The thing with him is that he's never been a good practice player. There's always been a learning curve. He's a kid that's got a boatload of talent. I I feel like at some point you have to throw him in and run a play to him and see if it works. And, you know, it, it is what it is. He's not a guy that you can depend on for 60 offensive snaps. No, and it shouldn't but be. But you can design 20 to 6 30, to 10 yeah, well. specifically that incorporate him in the offensive attack. And they're, I think they're pulling him aside this week and saying it's time for you to, to grow up, at least in practice. And, and Bob, you were talking about this before we recorded the podcast. Like He's a guy you just need to find a way to get him the ball sometimes, I think, right, and just, just see what he can do. He, he's made plays, and yeah. he's raw, and he doesn't have a lot of football experience. I mean, two years of high school, so this is a guy who is still learning the nuances of the game, but when you let him loose, he's a physical mismatch. He is running like a wide receiver. He's got that power forward mentality from his basketball career. You know, obviously a guy who you know, could have played basketball at UConn. Mm-hmm. That's what he thought he was going to do as a ninth grader until he found football and, and things change. Yeah, he's, he's not – ever been a practice guy we've, we've heard him get yelled at by by coaches for years but those few times when he's been on the field he's really made not just some routine catches he's made some really quite quite like next catches. level looking yes. kind of yep no we talk about to flip it nc state has Jalen samuel was kind of a swiss army knife mm-hmm. mismatch guy 
to me, Maven is maybe the guy on FSC's offense who most fits that role of being a mismatch guy. Yeah, well, not not running the ball, but yeah, what he can do. He's in nowhere near attack. as reliable yeah. as Jalen Samuels. Jalen Samuels has proven that over his career. But the reason Jalen Samuels finds success is he lines you up on somebody and he, they run a play that it, it benefits Jalen to be running that play against a guy who is attempting to defend him. With mm-hmm. Maven, you can do that. You line Maven up against a heavy set linebacker who can't flip his hips and go. Take him vertically. You know, yeah. he's got a safety that he's going to have to deal with. But other than that, he's going to be running free for the mm-hmm. most part. And it's just I, you get, when your offense is kind of pushed into a corner, which it will be when you're starting a true freshman quarterback, you have to use all weapons at your disposal. You have to be intelligent in the way you go about using them. I don't think the FSU offense can survive by being boring and mundane and basic mm-hmm. under Blackman. I think you have to take the Amir Razuls, the Maven Saunders, you know, maybe Tamorian Terry, guys that have kind of unique skill sets who can do individual special things, mm-hmm. and at times play to that. Don't play as we're going to do it within the offense. Do it as this play is going to work to this player because this is what this kid can do. Mm-hmm. And Jimbo's always sort of hesitant to that. He's more so, I want the sum of all parts. He wants it all working, yep, and one full offensive script. I don't think you have to do that constantly. I think you can live with being the sum of all your parts more often than not. But FSU's going to need some juice at times this Mm -hmm. year. They're going to need a play here and there. And I I just hope there's not so much stubbornness with the play calling that they're taking really talented guys and just kind of squandering what they are good at because Mm -hmm. they're not good at something else, so they're not going to play here or there. You know, play to the strengths. When Jimbo wasn't as confident in his quarterback play, or at least the pieces around him earlier in his time at Florida State, we saw that much more frequently with him him getting creative. Preston Parker. Yeah, exactly. I mean, That's Preston's a pro- perfect example. example of that yep. under his time here. Yep, yep. And then you look at the wide receivers. Uh, I mean, you have 6'5", Auden Tate, 6'4", George Campbell, 6'3", right? 6'3", uh, Keith Gavin. You have big guys that, again, there's all the pieces that are in there in place for a – rookie quarterback to do well um we've talked about how Florida State's offense can look good under James Blackman do you think this fan base or at least enough people have kind of realized like how hard also this is going to be too like I think people are assuming that you know James Blackman's going to be really good and that or at least he's going to have help around him the wheels could come off too very conceivably I went through and looked and I could be completely wrong I don't think (laughs) I went through and I double checked it I think I've only counted four teams that have finished in the AP top 25 in the last I think since 2011 that had a true freshman quarterback start at least three or four games in the season Um, and only Jalen Hurts Alabama last year was the only one to be a full-time starter and that was the only one to finish in the top 10 uh so that means you need a pretty perfect offensive script around you with a bunch of good you know, skill position players, a good offensive line, and then a great defense. I mean, yeah. basically what Florida State's now in a position, if it wants to compete for a national championship, everything has to be perfect around James Blackman. Yeah, and margin of error has been greatly reduced. Yep. yep. Do, do we think that they can – I guess at this point, do we think as we recalibrate, do we think this team still has a chance to compete for all its goals? To, no. no. I don't. No. I think they can still play for an ACC championship. And truthfully, I look at the schedule and I still feel like they're capable of winning the next 10 games. But if I was betting money or just simply like looking at it in the grand view of what the roster is, I have a tough time believing they can compete for the playoffs. I just, I, with a true freshman, it's just incredibly difficult to say, yes, I believe that. Yeah, historically, yes. Yeah. I agree. I think the leadership on this team is in a better position in 2017 than 2016. I don't think it's going to fall apart where this team is going to finish say, 7-4 and four, now that there's an 11-game regular mm-hmm. season. I don't think we're going to see it go to 7-4. and four. 
but I think Clemson looks absolutely brutal now that that game is up there. It could be a night game, high profile, ABC, ESPN, whatever, but you can tell that's going to be a, a nasty matchup from all standpoints. But can this team compete for the Atlantic Division title? I think most definitely yes. You're going through NC State, Wake, Miami's going to be a big one, but then you drop down again to Duke. I, I think some momentum can be built. Some confidence can be gained from what Blackman can do with a supporting cast on offense. I think the defense is going to be just fine. I think what we saw against Alabama is the way this defense is probably going to look, except for Lamar Jackson being a guy who is miserable to play against. Yeah, he's going to get yeah. his. If Louisville didn't woodshed FSU last year, it'd be a lot easier for me to say it's basically if FSU can get through Clemson, then yes, mm-hmm. all their goals are achievable. But because Louisville and Lamar Jackson just bent them over and slapped them on the ass last year and sent them Earmuffs. 63 to 20, I just can't sit here and say this. Now, I certainly think the defense is better. Derwin James is there. It's more experience. All the reasons why they shouldn't give up 63 points are clearly there. But it's sort of like, you know, let's play the game before I jump on the bandwagon and say, you know, they're just going to handle Louisville. Louisville, in the same token, seems like a team that, you know, is a little confusing right now. Despite yeah. Lamar putting up really, really good stats, that offense outside of him has looked a little discombobulated. And defensively, mm-hmm. they're, it, it's very different. They're far more passive than they were under Grantham. They were super aggressive last year with Grantham. And now with Peter Sermon, they're really kind of a passive bunch. You know, not aggressive, and we saw that with Clemson, and Clemson sort of capitalized, especially on the edges, you know, Deion Kane breaking loose and doing some big plays. So there, there's capability of kind of doing it to Louisville this year. They haven't been the same team they were when FSU played them last year, obviously. But it's just tough. That game and Clemson are the two that I look at. I don't look at any others as, like, surefire stumbling blocks. Uh, I mean, I, I think Clemson, I think we all agree, yeah. all of a sudden now looks like a – I wrote last year when they lost to Clemson that, that I thought and it was reactionary because that's what we do in this industry uh, that I thought Clemson had surpassed FSU as a program. And I, I think at this point, like, Clemson is kind of the, the, the top of the pecking order yeah. in the ACC with, with how they're recruiting in the trenches and how they're recruiting at quarterback and the way Dabo Sweeney is uh, keeping his staff intact and making good hires when he has to and upgrading facilities. Like, that's kind of the that's that's the top guy to beat right now that's Clemson right Clemson does an incredibly good job offensively of playing to their strengths yeah they do extremely well that's there's not we're talking about the stubbornness with Florida State's play there's just Clemson knows what it is and doesn't try to force yeah. things it has a really good idea of what it is offensively defensively they have a I mean Brent Venables is yeah. <laughs> he's going to be a really good head coach I think maybe somewhere at the very least he's arguably the best defensive coordinator in the country. Yeah, and they're, they're – I mean, they really dismantled Louisville. Yes. They, it was a game for about 20, 25 minutes, and then they just took it to them. No, what they, what they did was really impressive. Again, try not to be too reactionary because it's one game, but that was, to me, really telling. I, I think you look at that as a really tough game for Florida State. Uh, do you think Kelly Bryant's going to play this good all year? Maybe not or, this or good, but, but it, they, on they don't need right him now. to play that. No, to they what, don't. He, what he's right. doing. Like he could take a step back and they'll still be okay. Yeah. Uh, I think that's what's I think that's the part to me that if you're a Florida State fan or anyone in the ACC, like you're looking at Clemson, that's alarming because because the quarterback that, that we really weren't sure what he was gonna be has <laughs> looked really good. Even if he just comes back down to earth a little bit, to your point, Chris, like the, the skill position guys they have and the way they are setting things up there, um with, with the the Tampa water receivers at Deion Kane and uh Ray Ray. Ray Ray. Uh, man, they got they they've got weapons and they know how to use them. Um, 
But yeah, other than that, like I don't look at the schedule and say, all right, I don't think there's another game. Like I think Florida State go in the swamp, and I'm not scared of, of Florida if I'm Florida State at this point. I just don't yeah. see it. Um, I think Miami's going to be a tough game at home just because it's Miami. It's a rivalry game. Uh, that's going to be tough ask if that is you know primetime television like for for uh, James Blackman uh, to have that in his second start. But that's a huge moment or third start. Yeah, yeah, it'll be a huge moment on Wake Forest doesn't look bad and that's going to be you talk about a you know with nc state want to shorten a game that's yeah. what wake forest does they shorten games well and, like nc state i think has eight defensive starters that are seniors mm-hmm. and tons of snaps and i believe they're the most veteran defense in the country as far as returning starters wakes right behind them in the sense of returning snaps I mean, mm-hmm. wake that wake bunch is very much clausen's original team where he gutted it and played a boatload of young kids mm-hmm. and they stunk but they've played a lot of snaps together. They've gone through it together, and they've come out pretty sound, solid football team. They're not a real good football team, but they're good enough. I, I think the, the they're the type that doesn't blow their foot off. They know exactly what they are, and that's what they've given Florida State trouble with because they've played to their strengths yeah. in, in the last couple of years. I think Bill Conley's S and P Plus. He did a like if he didn't have preseason projections. Uh, factored into the equation, which it is. That's why Florida State's number two right now still, despite being just 0-1. Um, I think Wake Forest would be a top-four team based on the way it's played, yeah. um, if, if that preseason stuff wasn't. But as of right now, they're in the 30s, which is still pretty good. So uh, I think we all kind of on the same page, like that, that Florida State, I think for the most part, has a chance to keep most of its goals intact. But, man, just a true freshman quarterback, you don't see that happen very often. It's going to be really interesting to see how Florida State uh, utilizes uh, James Blackman. We're all really excited to see how creative Jimbo Fisher is. He's got a really cool opportunity to do some fun things here. Uh, But, you know, kind of hands in the air right now. If they actually achieve those goals, Jimbo might actually win a Coach of the Year award. Eh, He's not in the Coastal, so I don't don't think It's just funny. It literally would take something like, you know, the wheels falling off and your starting quarterback getting hurt and a true freshman playing and being successful to win an award for a guy that's won a national title. Bob, is his – in his contract – I mean, you know better than I would. David, David Cutcliffe goes seven and six, and we just force feed him <laughs> awards. So maybe if a guy goes eleven and one in the, or ten and one in the regular season, is, since was that in Jimbo's contract at one point? If he wins a coach of the year, he gets. Is it still in there? Do you know? If, if I were him, I would get that clause out of there because it's just, it's a, shit. He can go. He had the best team. I'm being college. a snarky jerk, but no. it, it's true. I mean, it's absurd to me to coach of the year awards and the way they hand them out to people that have incredibly mediocre teams that they coach to an incredibly mediocre season and they just, you know, love them for it. But guys that, the, like the, Jimbo the, and the Dabos of the world that, you know... Dabo, like, Dabo actually won it, though. Yeah, but <laughs> it was on the come-up for Dabo. Now that he's won a national title, he, he oh, he's really done now. never see another one in his life. It just won't happen. It doesn't matter if he wins, like, 48 straight games. It just that, won't happen. That whole the voting of that. Like, the 2013 season when Florida State had one of the historically best defenses and best teams in, in you know, college football history. I think Duke had more... More players on the All ACC uh, defensive first team than Florida State. <laughs> like it's just, just, it's a basketball conference. So they, they can say it's getting more to football. It's but not just the ACC though. It's some national awards that are just absurd in that regard. We're rambling. We're going off topic we're here. Right. I think that's a good stopping point, guys. Yeah, we'll um, be back Thursday. Yeah, we'll be back Thursday to do more in-depth on the NC State. So there's actually games to talk about right now. Uh, NC We're, State. They're like the Ohio State. The now. NC State. Do we put in two periods when we write? I or, usually do. Uh, we probably should be more consistent with that as a staff. Hey, guys, I'm Brendan Sinema with the Knowles 24-7 Podcast. Thanks to Bob Ferrante, Chris Nee for joining. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll talk to you in a couple days.